There it is. Hi, Mark here. And uh, yeah, today we got Julie speaking for us. And uh, yeah, Julie, take it away. I'm looking forward to hearing you. I just met you. So good, good to hear you. Hi, I'm Julie. I'm here in the USA. I'm a woman in recovery. I'm a student here in Earth School. Thanks so much, Mark and Derek. Thanks for your service here today. Um, and some other things I could describe myself as. Um, an alcoholic and drug addict in recovery. Um, I'm an adult child. I'm a codependent in recovery. I think I already said I'm a student here in Earth School, so it's very impromptu here today. I'm a trauma survivor. And uh, I like to consider myself a citizen of the world, even though I haven't visited all over the world. Um, but I think of late years, um, I really more identify with the student here in earth school thing. And I'll tell you why. And because some of what I'm going to talk about today is, um, about what it means to me to be a student in earth school, um, how I came to think of it that way and, and about things like how much I don't have control over and how much I didn't understand and how I felt like I was walking around like basically um, asleep to a lot of things. Um, Don Miguel Ruiz talks about in his book, The Four Agreements, which I don't know if I can even remember what all of those are. Be impeccable with your word. Try not to take things per personally. Always do your best, which is also the Cub Scout motto. I was my son's Cub Scout den leader. And I forget what the, the other agreement is. If anybody, yeah, why well, can't, it must be the one that I probably need to be paying attention to now. That's why I can't, I can't remember it. So um, he talks about in his book about uh, how everybody's living their own dream of the, the planet. And I didn't, I didn't really understand this when, when I was younger, how important, how perception is everything. And what are the things that have shaped my perception? Um, and some of the things that have shaped my perception, a lot of people have heard the, the quote that um, it takes a village to raise a child. So uh, I turned 62 uh, in October and I, I was born into a middle-class um, family in upstate New York alcoholic family my dad was was the known alcoholic my mother was the lovely oxymoron functional alcoholic and you know uh reality for me was my family and my neighborhood um i was raised being brought to church too and the 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 city i lived in and television ooh media Ooh, media is big. Media is like another parent altogether. Media shapes perception and culture so strongly. So um, anyway, but I had no idea of these things like alcoholic family and all this other stuff or that I, I was, you know, an alcoholic or going to be um, and, and bunches of other things. And I didn't know what trauma meant. I mean, I knew what it was to like skin my knee and that hurt. And I knew one of my best friends um, 
one of the neighborhood girls that it was really sad when her dad died and I went to the funeral, but I mean, it was a lot. I was a kid. So, uh, fast forward to, um, well, 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 let's start with something that I didn't realize. My parents were separated before I was born and I didn't know that. So I was like four or five, maybe something like that. When I realized that my dad was coming to the house to visit at times, I distinctly remember him taking off his, his, uh, little rubber overshoes back in those days that men would wear over their shoes and putting them in front of the radiator by the side door. And that was normal for me. My dad came to visit, you know, and I didn't realize until one day I realized that like my other friends, their, their dads lived with them. You know, I was different. And there were other things along the way. And, um, and maybe I'll fast forward to, I'm like, nine years old and my mother's working at some cabaret night at, at a church and her friend is there and her friend's daughter whom I absolutely adored and somehow we managed to sneak out of the kitchen with a couple of bottles of wine and we're like nine and nobody's really watching us because our moms are busy and we like sneak down the side of the auditorium and we wind up in and it's this old uh, multi-story church and we wind up in the elevator like drunk and I vaguely remember like the elevator door opening and I can't remember if it was her mom or mine and I'm like oh shit we're 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 like in so much trouble now this is not going to be good and and we were in a lot of trouble but the strange thing is that then I don't remember anything after that because I was like blacked out or semi blacked out drunk at age nine and um the next thing I remember is my mom's old old Delta 88 that we had nicknamed Stefan I we named that car Steppenwolf pulling into the driveway and I'm sitting in the front seat and I throw up on the floor of the car and then I think we went in and went to bed or whatever. Nothing was ever said about this. My mother didn't talk to me about it the next day. Nothing absolutely nothing and this was the beginning of i mean it had begun before but this is one clear example i can find of distorted perception how it got started and something that i learned about in recovery and in reading other things called don't talk don't trust don't feel so obviously i did something that in in my culture and in my family that nine-year-old kids are not supposed to do and my mom had pretty strict rules and everything and and but we didn't even talk about this it didn't get it didn't get dealt with at all so um i did some drinking in high school um i remember i was i i was raped when i was uh 14 um by a guy who was not much older than me I'm not even sure how it happened. I remember I had a screwdriver, one screwdriver in the kitchen upstairs. His parents weren't home. He was painting their house in the summer. I stopped by, I talked to him. And the next thing you know, I'm waking up at three o'clock in the morning or something like that. And I can see the lighted dial on the clock and, and we're in a bedroom and, 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 and it hurts because I was a virgin and, and I can barely even grasp what's going on. And then I black out again. 
And I only remember having one screwdriver. And by the way, my apologies, everyone. They told me I could talk about whatever I wanted to. Shouldn't have told me that. So anyway, and the next thing I remember is walking home by myself. It's somewhere around two, three, four in the morning. I got in the shower and I I ran the, the shower as hot as I could, hot water, and I scrubbed myself to death. And um, a friend of mine was living with us at the time, and I think I tried to talk to her about it the next day or something, and that didn't go over very well. And the thing is, I had a high school sweetheart, and I loved him very much, and we were both virgins, and we were saving ourselves for each other. And so I didn't know what to do. This was like, hello, trauma, because one thing I didn't understand, one of many things that doesn't get talked about, emotions don't get talked about in our culture. A lot of things about death don't get talked about. There's so much that doesn't get talked about. And certainly sex doesn't get talked about, not in an honest way. I mean, it gets talked about. Oh, it gets talked about and it's in the movies and it's, you know, used for advertising and everything. Um, and my mom talked to me about it a little bit, but not a lot. And um, and here I am. I'm not even totally sure what the hell happened to me. And I I don't remember how things like did, did you know, and I'm asking myself. So I'm 14 and and I'm asking myself, you know, did I make this happen? Did I want it to happen? Because I had already started messing around with um, my high school sweetheart. And I definitely, oh, I wanted to have sex with him. But things were just going along at the pace they did for us. But now I'm like, okay, am I bad? You know, am I a slut? Did I make this happen? Maybe I, I, I you know, like sex too much or something. And I made this happen. And I've got to find a way to tell Rick about this because he deserves to know, even if he's going to break up with me. And it didn't work trying to talk to my my uh, friend, my girlfriend there who was staying with us. And, um, and I'm real upset about this. And so I did something that some friends of mine have told me along the way they thought was pretty weird. Like, why would you do that? I went back a day or two later and said to this guy, you know, I really wasn't too with it you know, the other night, what happened? Could we do this again with me, like, you know, sober? Sure, he was willing to do that. So we went down in the basement on a big piece of plywood on some sawhorses, and I knew pretty quickly, I'm like, oh, no, this doesn't feel like how I feel when I'm with my high school sweetheart. Okay. And I wanted this information because I wanted to know how to tell my high school sweetheart what happened? I didn't know whether to tell him like, look, I did this thing and I made it happen and I wanted it to, I just didn't know. And I was not given enough information or allowed to talk about sex, my body, my feelings, nothing. My, my mother knew that, you know, I was in a relationship. I don't know if she really knew how far things had gone with us, but, um, so I, can't remember which which part happened next, but um, my uh, I, I I tried to tell my mother at one point about this, and um, I was crying myself to sleep at night, and and um, she, she uh, finally I it it seemed to me I was crying myself to sleep for two weeks, but it may have only been two days, <laughs> it was more than one night, and I I I um 
So my mom finally came to check on me one night and I told her and I can see her there in the dark. And she said, she said, she just said, well, try not to think about it and just go to sleep. That's it. Um, and she left the room. And that was like, it took me years in recovery to figure out all the negative ways that that affected me, that I felt like, you know, like my mom abandoned me physically and emotionally abandoned me at a time of great need when I was, you know, really had been hurt, had been wounded by something. And it altered my relationship with her and my self-concept forever. But what the other thing is that I learned is it taught me not to ask for help. And it taught me some learned helplessness. Like, just don't do anything because it's not going to work anyway. You're not worth it. Nobody cares. And there's no answer to this anyway. But it took me decades, like, to learn this in recovery. The other thing that happened that made me, um, not that this is all a negative talk either. It's not. But we have to start somewhere. And in AA, they taught me, you know, you start with, like, what what it, what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. So, um, and these are things I drank over. So, um and and did some other things too. So at one point I decided I told my high school sweetheart and he didn't understand. He thought like, oh, you know, I got drunk and I made out with somebody. I kissed somebody or whatever. And he forgave me. And I was like, oh, shit. This is not going to do. He's, I have to tell him the truth. He's got to understand. So um, one day, I guess when my mom wasn't home, we were in, upstairs in my, my bedroom. I had the door closed. And I remember he's lying on the bed next to the wall. There were two twin beds in, in the room and I'm standing there and I don't know what words I used, but I finally got him to understand. No, we went all the way, whatever happened. And the next thing I know, I'm lying on that bed and he's kind of sort of lying semi on top of me. He's holding me. I mean, we have our clothes on and everything, but he's holding me and he's sobbing his eyes out, this 16 year old young man. And he's saying over and over again, I love you, Julie. I love you, Julie. I love you. And I'm just like, I wanted to die that I didn't even know how to describe the pain and the shock and everything that I was feeling. It was just so incredible. And that was one of many things that, that happened in my life that I would go on to like suppress and drink over and, and other things and wonder why am I so fucked up? You know, why can't I handle my life better? Or why can't I do things? Why do I feel depressed? Why do I, whatever. And I didn't know that I was an alcoholic. There were some other blackout drinking episodes. And why do I struggle with relationships, jobs, whatever? And it's like, and then I made my way to AA where they teach us, you know, that alcohol was but a symptom. Oh, yeah. The alcohol was my medicine. Yeah, I was self-medicating so much stuff. But it wasn't only the trauma in my own life, because I'm trying to stay aware of how much time I have. It wasn't only the trauma in my own life that I was medicating in different ways, disassociating from through the years. But what I've come to realize is that, like, like why did my mother, you know, I've done a lot of work on stuff with my parents. Why did my mother act that way towards me? And and intellectually, you know, along the way, I figured out intellectually, I know she's doing the best she can with 
her experience in earth school. It may not, she may, she didn't do well in that area. She did do well in other areas, including even though she was a functional alcoholic, I'd be hard pressed at this point. I'm still doing work on stuff with my mother at times. And I'd actually be hard pressed at this point to say that I would ever want to trade her for a different mother. You know why? She was so much fun and so interesting. And she did so many interesting things with us kids and took us on trips. And 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 she wasn't a mom who wouldn't let you get dirty. You could get dirty. She liked spiders and snakes as long as they weren't poisonous. And she just was, she was a wicked interesting woman. And a lot of my childhood, there were there were a lot of fun, good things. But back to where we are with this. Um she had her own experience in earth school. And I brought this up to say that it wasn't my own, only my own personal trauma that I'm dealing with when I'm trying to live my life, that I was born into, onto a planet, into a culture that has a long and deep history of in, individual, ancestral, and global collective trauma. But we just live every day kind of like, and I still do it, you know, just, you know, day to day, like, you know, where's, where's my, where's my phone? Is it charged? Okay. Who texted me? You know, it's like, these are the things I concern myself with every day, but through recovery and being involved in programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Adult Children of Alcoholics and other dysfunctional homes, i.e. the planet's eligible, ever met a perfect human? Oh, well, if there are no perfect humans, then we're on a spectrum here. There were no perfect families, no perfect childhoods, really good ones, probably ones better than mine and ones worse, but none perfect. So that like, you know, not saying that anybody has to join that fellowship, but what I learned about that fellowship of ACA, the planet, this is my point of view. I can't speak for anyone else. The planet is eligible. Then I went to this other meeting called Trauma and Recovery based on Pete Walker's book. Pete Walker is a, a therapist, psychotherapist who considers himself in recovery from CPTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. These are the labels of my era, my adult era anyway, some of them. And he wrote a book about it. And he's got a website. Pete Walker has a website and 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 he's just a fascinating man. He came and talked at our meeting. It's not a 12-step meeting. My friend Barb shares that meeting at itrintherooms.com. And then I started she I started hearing her talk about people like Gabor Mate, uh uh Canadian uh physician. He was born in Budapest, Hungary. Okay. And he's got like a really interesting interview on Spotify with Joe Rogan. And they they just talk about all sorts of stuff that like men didn't used to talk about, you know, because it's got feelings and childhood and all this stuff in it. And Gabor Mate also talks about trauma and what are the things that can help humans heal from this stuff. And and the ACA program talks about all the different addictions, like the substance and the process addictions, you whether shopping, sex, gambling, drinking drugging, whatever, got uh, 12.56. Okay. Um, I started at 12.30. Okay. Um, all those things, ways to dissociate from trauma, ways to stuff pain. And then 
some of the meetings like that I go to at AHA use literature like a codependency book, Codependency 2.0 or something like that. Um, Brene Brown. I first fell in love with Brene Brown um, talks on TED Talks. Um, I don't know how many years ago. Her first talk was that I heard was on vulnerability. And I myself have struggled with vulnerability. And, and, and what I've found um, is that I can't, me personally, have any meaningful relationships with like even my dog without some vulnerability. That if I don't want to, if I don't want to be, if I don't want to be hurt in life and I don't want to be vulnerable, then I literally need to lock up my heart and soul and keep it encapsulated in like a tomb where it's going to like dry up and shrivel. And it may be safe, but it's not necessarily going to be a pleasant experience. And I've gone to a lot of different places in a lot of different ways, and some of them very dark and negative in my life with realizing that and and dealing with that and i've gone through things like my best friend one of my best friends when we were teenagers was raped and murdered she was tortured some before she was murdered by a serial killer and another friend of mine if you google dr mary yoder in upstate new york uh was murdered in 2015 they didn't know it was a murder initially she was poisoned and many people, including her own sisters, uh, believe, at least a couple of her sisters believe that the wrong person has been sent to prison for that. These are things that nothing in my life ever prepared me to deal with, including um, I've been raped several times. Sherry's dead. She died at 17. Why did I survive? I had to deal with survivor guilt. Um, and it took me years in recovery to figure out why did I drink? Why did I, why did I drug some? I didn't, I didn't even take it seriously that, um, how I used marijuana, <laughs> but they told me in NA a drug is a drug is a drug. And really like one time in college, you know, we had a bongathon or So I, so I called it really in one night, 23 to 25 hits off of bong. It's a little excessive. You really don't need that much. No wonder I slept under the bed that, that night on the floor. So and 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 relationships and stuff and and you know whereas now i'm thinking of the indigo girls and their song closer to fine you know i went to the doctors i went to the mountains i looked to the children i drank from the fountains you know and where was the answer well it was it was nowhere it was everywhere it was inside of me as i was going to connect with different things that spoke to me that made sense to me along the way and, and in recovery. And I love all the recoveries that I've ever fellowships programs that I've been part of. I don't, you know, I may have had problems with them, different parts of them in the beginning where I am now is I accept that I'm not in control of these programs, fellowships, and meetings. I can't dictate what they say, what they don't say. Everyone that I've been to so far at least claim somewhere that you're allowed to believe whatever you want to believe. And I do. Wherever I go, I believe what I believe. And I take that with me. And, and you know, that can vary day to day. It's not like I, you know, have some really like in-depth, detailed doctoral thesis on what I believe. Mostly, 
what I do is I use whatever works for me in the day. And I love the story. There's an old story about, um, I used to wonder why people in AA in my early days there, why they, they old timers, would they get into arguments about, about you can't have a doorknob as a higher power. Yes, you can. You can. People would, I'd be like, wow, why are they getting so bent out of shape about this? You know, you're supposed to be able to believe whatever you want. And um, it's Carolyn scratching. So one day I was listening to this speaker and um, Daryl, 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 Daryl. I forgot his last name, but anyway. Um, and he was telling this story about early in his sobriety. He went to a meeting early and he uh, he got there early and old Joe was there uh, cleaning up, starting the coffee and setting up chairs. And and old Joe asked him like, so did, so did you do your third step? And he was like, no, no, I haven't done my third step yet, Joe. And he's like, why not? He's like, well, I don't really, because I don't, I don't have a, a, a higher power or I don't have a God of my understanding or whatever. And, and old Joe was like, oh, you don't need to have that to do your third step. And he's like, and, and, and Daryl just laughed and he was like, well, yeah, that's what it says, Joe. So I think kind of, you know, he's like, no, no. He's like, he's like, here, turn your life and your will over to the care of this chair. I promise you a miracle. And Daryl's laughing. <laughs> and then. And then he says, and, and Joe's like, no, come on, really. And and so Daryl says, okay, all right, whatever. I, I, I turn my, my life, my will over to the care of this chair. So what's my miracle? And old Joe says without missing a beat, he says, well, see now there, your life's no longer in the hands of an idiot. And it was funny to me at the time when I heard it, it was funny to me because it was just a funny story. And it was funny to me because I was like, that's where that silly argument started where people always argue about you can't have a chair you can't have a doorknob be your higher power when actually you can if you want to and then maybe some years later I was like you know and it's funny because if you're an alcoholic and you're really getting yourself in a lot of trouble abusing alcohol then it might be easy to relate to and laugh at that your hands no your your life's no longer in the hands of an idiot but then maybe years later in ACA I'd be wanting to say I don't need someone telling me that I'm an idiot about anything period thank you very much and then a few years after that I'm like but maybe I still do need to be able to laugh at that stuff some of the time because laughter for me is is good for the soul you know it's good for me to be able to but it's like you know am I laughing at myself or am I putting myself down Am I beating myself up? Am I playing old tapes? You know, am I better than you? No. Oh, am I way worse than you? Well, one sponsor and he taught me that's the flip side of ego and said, sorry, Julie, hate to tell you, but you ain't the best of the best. You ain't the worst of the worst either. They're both ego. And I was like, wow, what a concept. Oh my God. So so here I am still in earth school. I don't have everything figured out. I do believe, me personally, I believe the whole planet, our whole human race, we're all adult children and, and trauma survivors to one degree or another, including if you stay, stay alive on the planet, you're gonna experience more trauma. And again, that's just my view. I can't tell other people what to believe. And so what do we do with that? And I've told friends in recovery, 
that sometimes I tell myself, well, if I'm not checking out today, what am I doing? What am I doing to either try to take care of myself and get myself through the day or the next hour? Or what am I doing to try to give something back, contribute, you know, to help? Because everybody on the planet is suffering at some point or another. I know this intellectually. Even some, probably the people that I, I least care for and it sometimes hate who have either harmed me personally or I don't like what they're doing in positions of power locally, nationally or globally, whatever. They're all flawed humans. And I'm not in control of all that and I don't need to figure it all out. I just need to start somewhere right now today which is part of why I decide, decided to tell my story. I'm like, my God, I don't have anything prepared. What am I going to talk about? Well, what are some things you want to talk about, Julie? And and, and I was taught in recovery also um, in AA that if I was ever asked to speak and I didn't have a good reason why I couldn't to, that, that I should and that it would be good for me and my recovery. So here we have another thing. Is there such a thing as an altruistic act ever? If you know it's a good thing to do, and it, well, I know for me personally, if I know it's a good thing to do, not that I'm saying that my speaking is altruistic. Oh, my God, I didn't mean to apply that. That's not what I'm implying. If there's ever anything I'm going to do that I consider altruistic, you know, and I know it's a good thing, and I think it's a good thing, and it might make me feel good. Oops, it's not totally altruistic anymore. It's also self-serving. And they also taught me in AA that it's uh, uh, that that um, that recovery program is a it's a selfish program made up of of selfless acts and other strange things that I thought were just so weird, you know, like they had the the sign on the wall that said "think, think, think," and I was like, "But wait a minute! I thought they didn't want me to overanalyze things, you know? Not, you know, anyway." So, so now here I am and I, I, I'm still studying and reading more about trauma and recovery in various ways. There's, there's IFS, there's Richard Swartz and internal family systems and all this fascinating stuff. One, one gift that I, I have, I don't know where I got it is I'm never bored. I might get tired of a certain environment I'm in or what's going on, but I'll never live long enough to learn all that I want to learn or read all the books or whatever, have all the experiences. And then there are days where, you know, I might be too depressed or challenged to um to want to do that anyway. For a while I thought after three weeks on oxygen in the hospital and five weeks in a nursing home trying to recover from COVID and coming home with a walker too weak to stand for more than a minute or two when previously I walked one to three miles a day. I thought for a while that it was a pretty bad joke that I survived COVID. And I think I'm starting to get over that it also wrecked my life economically in other ways but you know what recovery taught me that i can always start somewhere recovery taught me that i matter but i'm not the only one who matters and i don't live in, in a vacuum and i'm not an island and i'm not i'm trying to think what i i'm still here because so far today, it still matters to me, the things that I'm able to experience and learn in earth school. And even though I really 
can't stand humans at times and I don't want to people, um, I care. I care about the other students in Earth School, most of whom I'll never even meet, but I do care. And I care about that I might be able to connect with, I know that I have connected with, that I've been able to receive inspiration and hope and comfort and relief and distraction from other people in and out of recovery, but particularly in recovery. And um, that I feel that at least in some small way, I've been able to give back, you know, and I can't rescue anybody. I can't fix anyone, but I feel like probably my greatest purpose um, here in earth school has been in recovery. Something that I found and I didn't, I actually was dating someone in recovery. That's how I went to my first AA meeting. So I kind of almost found it, stumbled into it by accident. And I didn't think I was an alcoholic either. And it turned out to be the thing that would reveal to me, including it would send me questing after knowledge and information in other places, like the four agreements and so many other books that it would send me looking for more answers and really probably most of what I found was just uh, more questions, but some of them were better questions. And, you know, I'm still codependent. I still think about having a cigarette now and then I still get depressed. I still have suicidal ideation, even at times, only I know now it may not comfort me at the moment. I bet, Pretty much anyone I've ever met, especially in recovery, has had those thoughts, has at least had passive suicidal ideation. And people who say like, oh, that's selfish, or you should do this, or you should believe that. So I don't think I have a right to tell anybody else what they should do with their pain. I don't think I have a right to judge anybody else for what they may consider doing with their pain or about their pain. I think grief and loss is pretty heavy. I've also learned about there's original grief, there's ambiguous grief, there's there's different kinds of grief. And I used to think like, what does that mean? It's very interesting, it's very real to me. So I don't consider it shocking anymore that people leave this planet by their own choice on a regular basis. They check out of our school. And I don't consider it totally abnormal that a lot of people think about it and that they go through and struggle with so many things, whether you want to look at it as mental illness, addiction, boredom, whatever. And I stopped judging it, really. I mean, I might have feelings about it, but I stopped judging it. But so what it became to me is what I do with it. What am I doing with my time here in earth school today? And Sometimes all I'm doing is I'm just getting through, you know, hot cocoa is my emotional support beverage. <laughs> like, you know, um, my friends know like, oh, Julie's out of hot cocoa. Uh Oh, she's probably, she may not be doing too well or something, but um, so I'm like, not, I'm very far from being any kind of like, you know, perfectly evolved human or anything, but I've learned some stuff and I'm actually having more fun some of the time now. 
along with the good or the bad days, there's some some good stuff. And I think I I have more genuine self-esteem than I used to, which nowadays I prefer to define as um, like Pete Walker in his book, which is more about that I more honestly embrace how I feel most of the time. I don't always cope with it well, and especially not alone, but I'm, I accept more this wide range of feelings. Go ahead and name one, you know, rage, despair, um, whatever. So I feel like I'm having a more real experience now than just the, uh, what am I supposed to be that you, you, meaning like my peers or society, my culture says that I should be, although I don't kid myself that I've ever totally escaped that either. How could I really, really, I could totally escape what my culture has conditioned me to be. I don't think so, but I think I'm more Julie than I've ever been. And sometimes I'm grateful for that. And I think that my being here is like the starfish on the beach theory. You know, when this old guy finds his kid, picking up starfish that have washed ashore and the kids going and picking them up. There are hundreds washed up on the beach and he's taking them and tossing them back into the ocean. And the old man comes up to him and says, you know, what are you doing? And, and the little boy tells him he's got one in his hand. He says, yeah, but you can never save them all. So why bother? You know, what does it matter? And the little boy looks at the one in his hand and he says, it matters to this one. And he tosses it back into the sea. And that's me. On a day when I'm not busy just trying to survive myself, that's who I am now in recovery and even just, you know, trying to be kind to people on the street. I'm going to light a single candle. I'm also going to curse the fucking darkness, too. Oh, I do that. But I'm also going to try to light a single candle, have a laugh with someone, you know. I'm going to try to make the most of my time here. But not only just for me. And hopefully there's some time left for people to talk if they want to. This is this is a very, very impromptu, disorganized thing, but thank you all for letting me express myself. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your meetings here and everything. <laughs>